The scripture reading tonight is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he did on those who were diseased. Jesus went up to the mountain and there sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a multitude was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, How are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? This he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign which which he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of the Lord. So as many of you know and may be getting sick of, we've based our lectionary at House of Mercy this year on the Bible stories that are most popular for children. Thinking that it would be a good idea to look at these lessons that a lot of us learned as kids from a distance as adults. Generally, we found that they look a lot less neat than they did in the Sunday school curriculum. Like, The rough edges had been smoothed over. Sometimes things that seemed pretty crucial to the story were left out, probably because they were too violent or just too weird. This one, the boy who shared his lunch, as the Arch book series named it, is very popular in children's curriculum. And there's a little boy in it that the children's versions didn't even have to make up. A lad with five barley loaves and two fish that get multiplied miraculously to feed 5,000 people. The way it's interpreted for children, the boy is generous and good and kind, willing to share his lunch. But he can't feed the people alone. He gives what he can, and then God miraculously gives the rest. That's a pretty good lesson, I think. Give what you can to feed hungry people, whatever you have, however small it seems, if all you have is a lunch, $5. In Sunday school, maybe some of you guys had this too, but we had this little plastic bank shaped like a church. And we put our pennies in the coin slot on top. Pennies. I mean, it's not exactly giving lunch to hungry people, but I'm sure it wasn't an evil plot to imprint on young children the habit of giving money to an institution. 
Learning to give is good. And people are hungry for food and for kindness, even a little. Lately, I feel good when anyone is just nice to me, like a cashier or the person I'm talking to from Delta on the phone. Be generous. It's one of the most important things in the world. One of the most important things we could ever teach our children. Give what you can. Trust God to give the rest. Maybe Jesus fed people on this one day, but he doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of it over the long haul, to be honest. People die of hunger. I mean, look up statistics and then multiply. Probably something like 100 billion people have died of hunger since Jesus' day. I don't think it'd be outlandish to take from that children's lesson a question. Give what you can and trust God to do God's part? Really? If God's somehow doing God's part, feeding people, you have to at least wonder how and in what way, like invisibly? With some sort of invisible particle? How does the invisible particle taste? Or in some way, we just have to look harder. I think it'd be nice if God would be a little more obvious in this area. No one had to look hard to see the photo of the Syrian boy face down in the sand on the beach. Maybe it's because we're not really giving what we can. Maybe it's because we don't really do our part. So God doesn't do God's part? Maybe there's some way that makes sense, like legally, like bargaining, but it isn't grace. And it doesn't seem like love. If you want a sort of reasonable moral lesson, I think that the Bible might be a little bit disappointing. But to be like, but to be like well, you know, I don't really believe in some moral sort of good. I believe in mercy. Well, though I might have said something like that once or two times in the past, I'm sorry, that seems absurd to me now. If there's any chance for the planet, for my children's life on the planet, my God, people need to work as hard as they can for the good. Moral good and mercy are not in opposition, obviously. The two wind around each other, both come from love, maybe not always, but often. Sometimes good is the best we can do. And mercy is from God, something beyond our comprehension, really. But surely, as we hope for mercy or believe in it, we attempt to love our neighbor, even if we fail over and over. Surely we help people who don't have anything to eat. Maybe you don't throw your cigarette butts in the river. Don't poison the soil, save the bees. Maybe you don't find more and more scientifically innovative ways to harm the planet and its people. If we can't make food multiply miraculously, at least we might not fill what we have full of toxic cow pus or pesticides and sell it to people to make a lot of money. At least we might do everything we can to prevent everything from being reduced to its market value. But anyway, 
to go ahead and just deconstruct the moral lesson from the children's story a little bit more. The boy here is not necessarily being good or generous or kind. I mean, it's nice to think so, but it's not really in the text. And I've known a few young lads over the years, and from my experience, the chances are maybe about 50-50 that he was willing to share. For all we know, the boy didn't give his lunch away. Andrew spotted it and took it from him. As much as we might want the generosity of the boy to be the focal point of the story, it isn't. And as much as someone might want the miraculous to be the focal point of the story, it isn't either. Jesus is trying to get away from the multitudes who are seeking miracles in this story. I mean, I don't know, it could seem like sort of a dumb move on Jesus' part to do a miracle if you're trying to get away from people who are just following you because they want miracles. This is what I mean. The Bible is barely reasonable. When the crowd Jesus feeds Notice the miracle, they try to seize him by force to make him king. That seems sort of ugly. But he manages to escape the crowd that wants him to take power. But eventually the crowd finds him and he says, You seek me now, not because you saw this sign, but because you ate the fill, your fill of food. It sounds like maybe they didn't see what Jesus was hoping that they would see. They enjoyed the miracle, but it's like they seek something, not him. And he says, I am the bread of life, which all gets pretty confusing pretty fast. I've been hearing this story all my life, and I don't understand it very well. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The point doesn't seem to be the miraculous loaves that people are actually eating. The point seems to see, be about believing in him. Seems a little bit Gnostic. And I've noticed that people who believe in him die on a regular basis. He also makes the claim that people who drink his living water will never get hungry and never thirst. That doesn't seem accurate. Clearly, whatever Jesus is talking about, it isn't math or it isn't science or it isn't historical or maybe it's all that, but it's just hard to pin down or see with our very limited consciousness. What is the bread and who gets to eat it and what does it mean to believe? People who have been totally confident that they know what that means have killed people who believe it differently. The Protestant-Catholic War was one of the most destructive conflicts in European history. The search for religious uniformity, one way of understanding, leads to violence almost always, it seems. I mean, I don't know, but maybe if you start thinking about who's in, who ate it, and who's out, who didn't, maybe you didn't eat it. 
Or maybe you forgot. Or maybe you just weren't paying close enough attention. Maybe this whole thing isn't really a puzzle that we're meant to solve. Maybe it's more like something you enter, and then you just keep walking around and looking at stuff. Maybe Jesus just really wants to get us asking questions, pulling us into engagement, into a relationship, where your curiosity about the other, your questions may never end. Something like love. Jesus keeps asking people all over the Gospels, who do you say that I am? And the Gospels all answer it differently, never really much once and for all, never really like that systematically. I mean, maybe that's not a question you can answer mathematically. I mean, like, who do you say that I am? It totally depends on who you are, and it depends on your relationship with me. I mean, even who I say I am changes from day to day, moment to moment. I'm a woman, but those old gender binary constructions are false, right? So it doesn't mean much to say I'm a woman. Maybe I self-identify as a woman sometimes. Sometimes I self-identify as an animal, which I am. Sometimes I self-identify as a conglomeration of atoms that are shot through with other particles that don't necessarily belong to me. Sometimes I like that best. Physicists say we might be more like wisp and froth, a minimal presence, not as all as solid as our senses perceive. Who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe Jesus wasn't really looking for a particular answer. Maybe he was just looking for an attempt, a thought. Something made of your brains and your emotions and your cells and your heart and effort, engagement. Maybe that's what Jesus is looking for, relationship. And maybe that's always made more of questions than answers. Relationship. I mean, of course, it's different for different amalgamations of cells and histories and thoughts and appetites. I'm not sure what the sign was that Jesus wanted people to see in the miracle of the loaves. But maybe it's about how expansive the body of Christ is. How it multiplies to feed all sorts of people, everyone who's there, everyone who shows up. No matter if they're even looking for the right thing, he feeds them indiscriminately recklessly even. I kind of wanted to make this sermon all about Jesus' opposition to empire and, by extension, of course, capitalism, focus on the fact that Jesus says, you can't buy the bread. Are we to buy the bread so that this people may eat? Of course not. The evils of reducing food to capitalism, maybe I would go on some rant about Monsanto, But then I had to admit it didn't seem like it was about Jesus opposing something, 
but rather about Jesus opposing no one. Jesus feeds everyone who's there, even those people who wanted a king. What is wrong with them? I don't think it seems like Jesus is thinking about what is wrong with them. He just wants to feed them food, life, himself. I mean, these people following him around don't have it right who he is, obviously. I mean, he points that out. But even though they're after something that he's not, he still feeds them. He still gives himself to them. Wow, I mean, that is startling, really. If someone thinks that they want a relationship with you, but their idea of who you are is totally off, I might advise you not to be in a relationship with them. Keep your boundaries, man. Jesus seems sort of crazily to want to be in relationship with anybody and everybody. It's just kind of loose and promiscuous. He'll go with anyone who wants him, and even people who don't. There's a way in which this story is a little crazier than we usually think. Because most of us aren't used to following Jewish dietary laws. But it was actually kind of a big deal. There's a lot you had to go through. Meticulously washing your hands, scrupulous attention to all the food that you were going to eat. So you wouldn't risk impurity or contamination. Not probably totally unlike our need for organic, grass-fed, local, non-GMO, please. And often in order to avoid this risk of impurity, people just ate with their families, their kin, people that believed like them, people they knew well. Because you didn't know what other people might feed you. You wouldn't even know if they washed their hands. Eating with people is really sort of an intimate thing. You don't just plop down on the grass without any water to wash your hands and eat what some boy has been carrying around all day. I've watched boys put their hands in bags of chips, and I throw them away afterwards. These meals where Jesus feeds and eats with all manner of people, they aren't just the occasions for him to deliver a message. The meals are the message. Like a prophetic sign, breaking through everyone's sense of personal purity. Like there's no such thing as the deserving and the undeserving. No such thing as the pure and the impure. Like, oh my God, there's Donald Trump on the lawn. Kim Davis. Ronald McDonald. Okay, maybe not Ronald McDonald. But it really is a bit much, this mercy. Maybe it seems like more than we can take. There is no us and them. The meal is like a prophetic sign, like something we have yet to live into. But freeing us from religious delusions that harden our hearts against other people. Free us from lovelessness.
I mean, you come up here, you tear off a piece of bread after someone you barely know tears off a piece of bread, and you put it in your mouth, and a boundary is broken, a line is crossed. You have been liberated from judgment. You live in the mercy. Be generous. Generous.